Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. It is a Monday show, which means that we are going to have the rest of our notes from what was an absolutely jam-packed and loaded Week 7 weekend. We do it every single Monday. It is upon further review. I mean, we were laughing at the end of the Instant Reaction Show, rolling through results that we knew were significant, but we just didn't get a chance to get our eyes on it. It was too big of a weekend. We will also discuss Poll Assassin, which is our weekly look at the AP and Coaches Poll Top 25 rankings, the adjustments that happened. Uh, thoughts on some ballots maybe might come up as well. The, maybe a quick note on the breaking news podcast that still has not been recorded or needed to be recorded yet. <laughs> um, we'll get to that in just a, here in a second. But first, Danny, since this is the first time that we've gotten a chance to talk Wanted to uh, hear what, what your thoughts were either at the time or even as you've gotten a chance to marinate on 52 to 49, the Tennessee Volunteers, they snap a 15-game losing streak to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, the, the way it all played out, like the, the all the fan videos of like, you know, them rushing the field, the goalposts getting out of the stadium, the Derek Dooley eating the sad spaghetti meal as the fans <laughs> are partying above him. Like this it truly has been a modern college football epic. Uh, what, as, as we sit here on Monday morning, what really stands out to you about that game? All of it. You just brought up half of it. I mean, it was insanity what we watched unfold. And I almost feel like you could do an entire 30 for 30 just on the game, the way it unfolded. And those same fans that are out carrying the goalposts, I would love to see them like a timeline throughout the game when it was 28-10. I bet they were like, yeah. And you could almost sense like Tennessee felt they had arrived and like the blowout is on. And then to see those same fans' reaction when all of a sudden it's tie game and all of a sudden you've got a ball game on your hands, that lead evaporates and you're watching potentially you give away that game. And then, you know, to see Bama lined up for a field goal, to miss it, then to see you tied up, or do you get the chance for the field goal and make it like it was just phenomenal. It had every single thing you would want in a game, except not a lot of defense, but I'm okay with that. Um, you did have some some big plays that had to be made when they were to be made. But the quarterbacks were stellar. I really felt like the winner of that game was going to win the Heisman Trophy. Now, that could be prison of the moment, early, you know, recency bias. I get all of that. But, I mean, how can you not be impressed with uh, Hendon Hooker and Bryce Young, the show that they put on? And Hendon Hooker is going to get a ton of credit, and he's probably going to vault to one of the front runners for the Heisman. But I thought Bryce Young 
showcased what he like just what he's all about man the dude is tough he's nails he's he's cool as you, I mean, just I don't think his I don't think his heartbeat ever goes over like eighty five, like never. Like it doesn't matter if he just had to run and just got crushed. I mean, he was phenomenal too. It was just a battle of heavyweights that was really, really fun to watch. I did have a thought because mm-hmm. it's awesome for Tennessee, right? Fifteen years they had to beat Bama. Bama's the giant they had to slay. Is it went over Bama as big? As like and I don't uh, sorry Jordan I got but I'm looking at the way it's unfolded. Texas should have beat them, had them on the ropes, and if Quinn Ewers plays, I think you can make a really good argument that they should have beat them. Or the refs, you know, call a couple calls differently, they would have won that game. And then Texas A&M, who's not very good, had them on the ropes. Now, granted, that game was about Bryce Young. That makes a hunt. That's a total pass. But and I I still think Alabama could go on and make the playoffs and do everything they want to do. But we've seen other programs feel like they've arrived just because they beat Bama. Texas A&M is one of them. Got to make sure. And I think this is going to be Josh Heupel's biggest challenge moving forward. That wasn't our season. Our season is still in front of us. Our season is still you know, going to Athens and beating Georgia. Our season is potentially winning an SEC championship. Our season is, you know, doing more than this and being defined as this. I mean, shoot, we've seen teams feel like they arrived because they lost close to Bama. And we've seen how that worked out. Now, I feel better, and I am making sure. I do not want to say that Tennessee, I feel, is fraudulent or that wasn't a big win. It was awesome. But I just, I wonder how big that win is. And I do, never said this before, never. I do wonder if this is sort of the beginning of the end of the dynasty, the dominant dynasty. Bama's not going anywhere, but I wonder if it's the end of them rattling off playoff appearance after playoff appearance after playoff appearance because it sure feels like that defense is not as dominant as once one and there are a lot of holes and you start seeing discipline issues with penalties to me it just feels like this might be this and all those games they could have lost like if Bryce Young's not there which when he goes off to the NFL are you going to Milrow is that your guy like I, I just feel like you could be the beginning of the end of the dynasty and I, I don't make sure it's not like a troll Alabama I think they're still going to be really good and Saban's the 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 goat, but I do feel like you're starting in, and it's a tribute to the other teams that are on the rise. You know, there's other teams that are picking up their game too, which is the best case situation for the SEC. You know, I will I will counter that by saying you mentioned how plenty of teams have beaten Alabama and thought that they've arrived, and it turns out that they, you know, didn't. Plenty of teams have beaten Alabama, and we've questioned whether it's the end of the dynasty, and it hasn't been. But that said. It's going to happen eventually, so maybe it is because, as you as you said, like they didn't look great against Texas. They looked pretty great against Tennessee. They just didn't score enough points. But I don't know. It's I don't think Alabama is as elite as we have seen it in recent years. But I don't think Georgia is as elite as it was last year. I don't think Ohio State is quite as elite. I think that's my biggest takeaway from this season in general is that there is no incredible amazing team and i was thinking about it because when i had to write the monday after today I, you know i do the college football playoff projection at the end of a, each column and it's not what i think it's what you know i think that if there were rankings this week this is what i think the committee would do and i honestly think that based on what we've seen like the top four would be tennessee clemson georgia and ohio state and maybe michigan over ohio state which just kind of gives you an idea of 
what we thought coming into the season compared to what's actually playing out as far as who's not as dominant as you'd think, who the surprise teams are, because Tennessee does have the best win in the country. So I think that based on the way that the college football playoff tends to do things, there's a very real shot they would be number one right now. But it's just, I don't know. Um, Hendon Hooker was great. I agree. Right now, if you probably took the Heisman voting, he would win. But I do want to point one thing out. Hendon Hooker, who had thrown like three interceptions over like 18 months, he threw two interceptions in that game. Only one of them stood, but he threw two, and both should have counted. So All that matters is the stat line when yeah, those voters who don't watch every game see it. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. That's what's going to matter at the end of the year, but it's like when I look at that stat line, it's like he was great. He had the five touchdowns, but he also had the turnovers, and it's just – it's. Yeah, there there was also the dropped mesh point fumble. So it's like it was not a perfect game. It was a perfect result as far as Tennessee fans are concerned. But I, I just think that, yeah, I agree with you. I know that I also I am taking UT Martin plus the spread this week. No I know. Linus, because what the, big what, hangover big. I'm with you on that one. What is the spread anyway? It's got to be massive. I guess it's going to be in the 40s or something, but take yeah. Martin. <laughs> Lock Unity, Lock Infinity this week. It's going to be 7-3 UT Martins up at the end of the first quarter. They're just going to have to go for it because there's no field goals. Right. They, they're, they're going right. around like begging for money to replace their field goals because they took them out of the stadium. Sorry, guys, we're going for two. That's, that's I, the deal for playing in Knoxville now. I will say this, though, because I feel bad. Jordan's like, can't I have anything nice? Can't Tennessee fans have anything nice? As far as the teams that have arrived, I do feel... Tennessee is closer to being the 2019 LSU than they are the 2021 Texas A&M or, you know, some other team. They're legit. Like they're, they're really good. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to make sure I don't diminish what Tennessee just did, but we'll see how that, how that unfolds there, but their defense has to improve. Like it's a problem. Yeah. LSU won the national championship. I was, I'm glad you mentioned that Dan. What'd you find? All right, through six games, and shout out to uh, Emily Proud, one of our colleagues at 24-7 Sports. She and Brandon Marcello were going back and forth on Twitter yesterday. Through six games, 2019 LSU, uh, 3,367 total yards, 40 touchdowns, six turnovers. 2022 Tennessee, 3,306 total yards, 37 touchdowns, seven turnovers. We are within 360 yards of total offense through six games, three touchdowns and one turnover. The statistical profile of this Tennessee team offensively is looking like 2019 LSU. Mm. Goes against everything I believe in not to think that a bad defense is going to catch you at some point. So LSU got enough defense. And I would say that LSU, that Tennessee has that aspect of, we saw them be very aggressive and successful in the pass rush. And that is the perfect complement to an explosive offense because the other offenses has to press. You know, you get off to those quick starts, you start scoring touchdowns, you make these other offenses one-dimensional, and if you've got really good pass rushers that can cause havoc, then you can get enough out of your defense. Another another difference, though, to me, like statistically it's similar, but how many of those LSU defenders on that team got drafted? How many Tennessee defenders on this team will be drafted? It's a hundred percent a fair fair point. I was about to say the talent level on paper mm-hmm. certainly seems like the LSU defense because that was what everyone was mad about. Remember, Ole Miss lit them up. Was it? It was Ole Miss, right? That just like could not. Um, that that never got stopped, and LSU ended up having to win that game. Or was it Vanderbilt? 
It was one of those games in the middle of the season where Dave Aranda told me at the <laughs> national championship game that it was like the true like wake up moment for him when he realized we had to totally throw out everything we were doing and start to change. But like, you know, you're right. Grant Delpit was there. Patrick queen was there. I mean, the, the talent level of that um, LSU defense had multiple NFL draft picks. But if, if my options between those teams and I don't remember which one it was, but if the options were Ole Miss and Vandy, no offense, Barton, but I'm going to guess it was Ole Miss <laughs> chat saying it was Ole Miss. <laughs> I'll say this though. They keep playing like this. More scouts start coming around. All of a sudden, some of those guys become more draftable. <laughs> like yeah. we see that. I mean, look at Cincinnati. It's a great example. Last year, I mean, they where they have nine players drafted, and they were great players. Like Sauce Gardner is an incredible player, but he may not get discovered if they're not balling out the way they are. So you might see some Tennessee guys start to pop, and to, for them to do it without a couple of their defensive stars, and to do it without Cedric Tillman, like this team's going to get healthier, which I think makes them even scarier. I know. Did anybody watch 60 Minutes last night? I saw oh, like it. We always I, do as good company men. The game, the Chiefs-Bills uh, game went a little long, and then it was like I wanted to get into the night game with the Cowboys-Eagles, so I didn't. I meant to DVR it, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, I want to uh, want to play this clip here. Deion Sanders uh, had a, a segment on 60 Minutes. It was very interesting. He said that, you know, I think he said, quote, absolutely not, no interest in ever being a head coach in the NFL. He had a funny comment about how it drives him crazy when um, a player is not invested in the game that he has loved so much. He said, you know, I, I would get arrested. He said, what would you get arrested for? He said, for jumping on a player. He said, I'd go into halftime, I'd come back out with half the team because they'd all quit. You know, Dion was very much feeling himself, but he also included this this one little note. When is he not, though, by yeah, the way? It's, it's <laughs> fair. Dion was just being himself. <laughs> All right, here we go. What happens when a power five school says, give us a number, we'll make it work? I'm going to have to entertain it. You are? Yes, I'm going to have to entertain it. Straight up. Why well, would be a fool not to? So, Sanders, there is a huge camp within the Dion Sanders coaching future community who discusses the Dion. Either should or will stay at Jackson State, and that he will continue to build. And in that 60 Minutes profile, there was another quote where Dion said that he hopes uh, some politician or billionaire or figure says, "I'm going to bet on Dion." You know, I, I'm going to come and I'm going to help increase the funding. He said that my assistant coaches right now are extremely underpaid. He kept comparing the the budget for Jackson State compared to the budgets of the schools that he's recruiting against, and so. Even Dion, by his own admission, seems to say that if if there's a huge change in the financial you know, situation for him, his coaches, and the program, somebody comes in and invests a bunch in Jackson State, you know, it, it seems like that would be something that would keep him there. I think Deion Sanders, I, I think, I would guess, is going to get a look at a Power 5 job this offseason. So if Deion Sanders, by his own admission, is going to entertain it, what do we think, uh, what, what's our latest check on, uh, on the Dion to the Power 5 future? He gone. Yeah. I think so. Um, I did. So I'm assuming that that, pro, that question probably was, I didn't see it, but I did see a blurb about where he said he'd been called by God, but he said he had some like catchy, you know, he, he made it sound more entertaining, but I remember when he was hired at Jackson state, he's like, I am here cause I am a man on a mission and he is religious and he does. I think he honestly believes that. And I'm sure that question was like, well then how can you leave? But I think 
I, mean, I just think he wants to win it. I think he's a competitor down yes. deep. I think he wants to see if he can be the best and beat Nick Saban, who he's got all these commercials with. I, I, I do believe that. But I also, at the same time, I do believe that he wants to help out the HBCUs and he wants to help out the SWAC and he wants to help out Jackson State. Like, I believe that too. I think both can be true. I mean, how many times do we fall in love with coaches at a certain school at the group of five? And you're like, yeah course you got to go you have to take that job if you want to you know you want to compete against the best so i think he does leave i mean he's already interviewed and had really good interviews with arkansas a couple years ago with tcu last year and he's been in the final you know final running for the final two or three men for the job somebody's gonna pull pull the trigger on this year it's funny because if you were an athletic director or you know some consulting firm but if you were the school that had to make the hire like somebody's got to do it, but I think everybody else is like, man, I want you to see how it goes. Like, I don't know. How, it's got to take somebody unique who's going to be willing to say, I believe Dion can do it at this level. And you know what? I think that coach is going to hit it out of the park. I really do. Or that it, athletic director. Yeah, I think Dion is going to take a power five job here eventually. And I also think he's going to catch unfairly a whole lot of crap for doing it because they're going to say, how could you abandon Jackson State? How could you abandon the HBCUs and all that? And it's like, it's not... Dion's responsibility to you know save a school like there are so many people who like Dion's a former athlete who's got plenty of money who didn't need to do it in the first place and he's gone and he's taken the Jackson State job but like you said Danny and I, I believe him too I think he sincerely wanted to help the program I think he wanted to bring attention to it I think he wanted to bring attention to the conference HBCUs all of that stuff he didn't have to do any of it and he's doing it and he's putting him on the map and if he leaves to take a power five job Good for him. If he doesn't, good for him. I don't think anybody should really hold anything against him for doing so. And if a school wants to hire him because they think that he can help him win, good for them. And I think I agree with you, Danny. I don't think I think it. this is the next coaching cycle this winter. Dion's going to get a power five job. Um, and, He also he ain't leaving everybody behind. Let's make that clear. He's going to bring some players with him if he does go. Travis Hunter, Shador. If Sh I don't know what Shador's uh, eligibility is for the draft, but he'll probably bring him too. He's got Mike Zimmer as an analyst on the staff who probably is thinking, hey, I'd make a nice defensive coordinator at the next level. Like He's got a lot. He's going to bring a lot with him. And I'm with you. Like He's he's brought more attention to the HBCU you know, landscape than, than the last time probably was since Steve McNair. You know, it's been 20 years since we've talked this much about the, and it's, it's on us and maybe we can get more exposure, but he's been a huge reason. And you're right. He didn't have to take this job. He probably could have waited out and taken a smaller group of five job, but no, he went in this one. And it is not easy with the lack of resources. And I mean, he's, he points out and brings a lot of attention on problems that need to be addressed. I think that's been one of the best parts about it. And he, um, the, to answer your thought earlier, the, what was leading to that question and that quote was the conversation about resources, was the conversation about how much assistance are being paid. And so in the question, it included what happens when a power five job says, you know, give me the number, which we all know for coaching searches in the modern era, how much are you going to give me for my assistant pool is a major factor in a decision of whether or not you are going to leave your current job and go take another. So, you know, the resources, how much you can pay assistance, like those are things that, we're very much at the forefront of the piece and very much, you know, part of the the leading into, okay, so what happens when a power five school says blank check, what's it going to take for you to come? And that's when he said, you know, he would absolutely entertain it. Now, there is a job 
that because of an Under Armour affiliation, we have consistently mentioned as a potential landing spot for Deion Sanders, and that is for the, the head coach of the Auburn Tigers, which still at October 17th, 11.22 a.m. Eastern time, is being coached by Brian Harson, And the roster in place there put up a pretty impressive effort against Ole Miss. I don't know if I ever throughout that game thought that Ole Miss was going to lose, but it was tight enough to at least believe that this is not a team that has quit. And if you were putting Auburn on quit watch, as they are going to be off this week, and that's why we had circled this as a potential time when Auburn might move on from Brian Harson, it it hasn't happened yet. And so I wanted to at least you know take the temperature. What's our expectation for how much longer Brian Harson is the head coach of the Auburn Tigers? The prevailing theory at this point, because we've expected him to be fired every single week after every loss, and we thought, it's well, Mizzou. no, like the Auburn message board says, it's Missouri's fault that they're still <laughs> in this position. I mean, it it's was reported by matters. it was reported by reputable college football, you know, writers that mm-hmm. it was going to happen if they lost to Mizzou. Like it was inevitable. It was inevitable. It was done. What's your prevailing sentiment, Tom? That until the athletic director is installed. I, I think, I mean, that's what Bud's been saying. It's what a few people have been saying that are much closer to it than I am. I think that that's part of it. They want to have the athletic director involved. And I think another part of it is like Chip was just talking about. That team still plays for him. That team still likes him. And there is the rule, like, you know, we have the transfer windows now with college football where players are allowed to enter the portal. But there's the rule. If your coach is fired, every player on the roster has a 30-day window to enter the transfer portal. So there's probably some fear that if they fire him now, the entire team could hit the portal, and then you're kind of left with a JV squad for the rest of the season, including the Iron Bowl at the end of the year. And is that really what you want? Like, are you willing to get trounced by Alabama by 70 points just to get a head start on your coaching search when everybody kind of knows the job's going to be coming open at the end of the year anyway? But, of course, you also run the risk of, what if Auburn wins out? What if they keep winning and then they beat Alabama and you can't fire them? So it's, it's, it's Auburn. It's a situation that makes no sense Something's going to happen. Most people aren't going to end up looking good out coming out of it. Bud passed along two notes that I, I thought were significant. Uh, number one, making I think he said that somebody he talked to that was close to the situation made reference to the LSU situation when they only had 37 scholarship players against Kansas State in the bowl game. And that is where throughout the college football industry, the people in charge of these schools are saying, we don't want that kind of situation. We don't want to put our program in a position where it is just downright embarrassing based on the scholarship players that are available and the product that's going to be on the field as a result of it. The assistant coaches include a lot of Harson guys. And then, you know, there is, like you mentioned, the athletic director piece of this, which now seems to be you allow the athletic director to come in. You will do a complete review of the football program and likely make the decision that we think is all going to happen. But as long as this team is continuing to fight for Brian Harson, there's no reason to give them a reason to all jump into the transfer portal and create just not only a skeleton staff, but a like shell of a team with big high profile games, the iron bowl included still left on the schedule. Also, if you are interviewing for the Auburn AD job and you want the job and they ask you if you're going to fire Brian Harson, say yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you say I've got to evaluate the situation and get a full look and make my own decision, they will not hire you. 
Coming up on the other side, it is time for our weekly look and reaction to the new college football rankings, the AP Top 25 poll, the coaches poll. It is Poll Assassin Plus. Upon further review, we'll look at USC, Michigan, Notre Dame, North Carolina, Ole Miss, and more next. We discussed on Saturday night's show um, that Tennessee probably was not going to be jumping ahead of Georgia or Ohio State. We were correct in that prediction. The new AP Top 25 includes Georgia at one, Ohio State at two, Tennessee at three. Tennessee did get 15 first place votes and First place vote from Tom Fernelli in the Football Writers Association of America Super 16. Uh, Ohio State with 17 first place votes. Georgia with 31. When you look at the entire 63-member AP Top 25 voting community, the fact that we're at 31, 17, 15, this, this is a ongoing debate for who the best team in the country is. Michigan swaps with Clemson after its impressive win against Penn State. Alabama tumbles three spots to number six. Other notable jumps, you got TCU up five spots to number eight. You got USC down five spots to number 12. Penn State falls all the way to number 16. And then NC State and Mississippi State tumble, but with a lack of obvious options to move them into the top 25, uh, remain in the top 25. Illinois up six spots to number 18. Uh, thoughts on what we saw from the AP Top 25 poll. Don't know if you've got a, a move, a team, or even a voter that uh, that has caught your eye already. I do have a scenario I would like to bring up for you guys. Let's Ooh. do it. A little blind resume action. I, I tweeted about this yesterday, so I don't know if you guys saw it, but I'm just going to read my tweets to you, all right? Uh, there's no wrong answer. I'm just interested to see what you think when this is the information you have to work with. There are two teams. They are both five and two. Team A has won four games against FBS competition by 13 points per game, and those teams that they've beaten are a combined 14 and 14. Its two losses have come to Power 5 teams by six and a half points per game. The record of the teams it has lost to is 11 and 2. Team B has won four games against FBS competition by five points per game, and their combined record is 15 and 12. Their two losses are also to Power 5 teams, and they've come by an average of three points each. The combined record of the teams that they've lost to is 11-1. Which team does, are you ranking higher? I, Danny, do you want to – I know the answer to this because um, I was following. And I, as I, you were doing it live, I was like, it's negligible. Like I, I think that that's what I was thinking. Very close. That's I think they're the same. I think they're the same team or deserving of being right around the same spot. Pretty much identical resumes, and I'm not arguing one team should be ranked, one team shouldn't, but they're very close and identical. Well, one team is ranked. It's number 19, Kentucky, and the other team, Team B, is not ranked. It's Purdue, and this is just a case. This is a perfect example to me of showing what poll mentality is with preseason polls with the voters who just slide teams up when they win, slide teams down when they lose. Kentucky started the season ranked in the top 10. It's lost twice. It got punished both times. It beats Mississippi State last week, so they bump it up three more spots to number 19. Purdue was not ranked to start the season. It's lost to Penn State and Syracuse. Penn State was undefeated until getting trounced by Michigan. Syracuse still is undefeated, and they were both very close losses. And Purdue can't even crack the top 25, while Tulane, and I'm not complaining that Tulane is ranked, but Tulane's able to crack the top 25, but Purdue isn't, despite having a very similar resume to Kentucky. So that's just something I wanted to point out because that annoys me. 
Tom, I never knew we were brothers in arms like this. I'm loving it, though. Like, we need to form an alliance. We need to get this message out there about the AP Top 25. The preseason, just, it's a bias that comes in there, and it never leaves throughout the season. And it's something that absolutely helps different teams. I mean, you see people saying, hey, four wins over top 25 opponents, and one of those opponents is, you know, sub 500. Is that really a win? But people do it, you know, analysts do it, writers do it all the time, and it definitely does impact the perception of you. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to, do I don't want to bag on Bama, but I mean, they should they have dropped more? So there was when you have USC, Oklahoma State, and Penn State all losing, like it sort of created a pillow for Alabama to fall into. Like debating Alabama ahead of Ole Miss, debating Alabama ahead of TCU, ahead of UCLA seems like, you know, big eye test energy. Right. Yeah. Big eye test energy. But other than that, like, Profile. I think TCU, like, and that's where you've got to, because no one, except for our guy Bud, who picked him to win the Big 12, no one's talking about them. They have a new coach. The expectations are low, but they're starting to build up a really nice resume that is as good as anybody's in the country. Yeah, you know, like I, that was that was something that bothered me. The other, yeah. you know, like Clemson, I, now Clemson didn't have the opportunity to. Is that me? I don't know whose mic that was. Um, uh, Clemson didn't have the opportunity that Michigan had or that Tennessee had, but they still beat a pretty good team on the road. And I'm I'm not being a Florida State homer here or anything, but I do think Clemson. I think it's I think it's last year still hurting them. And maybe that's why Dabo's still salty. I saw some of his comments after the game where he's like, oh, these haters still want to bench DJ. I haven't heard anybody say bench DJ since the Wake Forest game. Like nobody. Everybody's like, oh, he's turned the corner. He's on to the next one. Like he's on, he's he's totally put that behind him. And yet Dabo is still bothered by a lot of it. But I do think the perception of Clemson that they were on the downside, DJ was struggling, was going to be something that was going to be a problem. And I think it's a, a perception they're still trying to overcome. Dabo holding on to a grudge or a perceived slight that is so unlike him. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think that what Chip said is right, though. I think if other teams had lost, Alabama probably slides a little further, or at least might have deserved to. I don't know if it would have because three-point loss on the road to a team that everybody's put number three. But you mentioned one of those teams, though. Let's play a little more resume games, right? Ooh. Because if you look at the rankings, and this is also going to show more preseason bias based on what you thought before the season began, and a little thing we often refer to as SEC bias. Ole Miss is at seven. TCU is at eight. UCLA is at nine. Let's go through these teams' resumes so far. Ole Miss is 7-0 and with wins over Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa, a three-point win over Kentucky, which is its best win, at Vandy, and Auburn. TCU is 6-0 with wins over Colorado, who stinks, Tarleton, who I don't even know what that is, on the road against SMU, but then it's won three straight against Oklahoma, Kansas, and it just beat Oklahoma State, who was number eight in the country. It's a top 10 win. Uh, UCLA, 6-0. Bowling Green, Alabama State, whatever, who cares? South Alabama, who received votes this week? We'll get to more on that later. Colorado, and then beat Washington, and then also beat Utah, which just beat USC, and they beat Utah pretty good. So when you're looking at those three teams, TCU's got the best win. I think UCLA's got the second best win, and Ole Miss has the third best win. So why is Ole Miss ranked ahead of both of them? And he they gets started. Yeah. And where do they play? 
They, I, I think that's probably more the rankings inertia. We're like, they started, they won 10 games last year. But why were they ranked that high to begin with, Chip? Because they won 10 games last year. And what conference do they play in? The SEC. There you go. Can, can we, uh, Anything else on the polls? Because that's a that's a really good launching point to a tr- truly a question. I have one more thing on the polls. Okay, just want to say that the two worst voters of the week are Nate Mink and Ron Counts, because they are the only two voters who did not have Illinois on their ballot this week. Wow, the disrespect. And also, also, Ron, Ron, I mentioned South Alabama getting a vote. Ron, you've got South Alabama at twenty four and James Madison at twenty five, but you don't have Illinois ranked. Come on, Ron. Wait, he still had James Madison in the top 25? Mm-hmm. After I, losing. Yeah, I don't even hate it. Because you know, <laughs> I'm the person that's always arguing that more teams should give G5 teams credit. But come on, South Alabama and James Madison over Illinois? Come on, Ron. Wow. Upon further review, is Ole Miss good? Because <laughs> you mentioned uh, like you mentioned the profile right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you've, you're sitting there and you've got uh, the... You know, the, the Vandy win is, you know, I guess, like, impressive. We got to see some offensive firepower early Come on. Come on, it's Van. No offense, Barton, but it's Vandy. You should look good against them. We we talked about the Ole Miss defense early in the season as a group that, you know, while not o- overly, like, you know, physically dominant, they'd done a lot in the transfer portal to be able to, to beef up that group, and they play really well. They communicate well. They've they have shown that Auburn obviously torched them a little bit. Robbie Ashford got things going for the Tigers' offense. Statistically, you're looking at you know probably a team that's checking in in the top twenty-ish on both sides. They run the ball really well. Still play with a lot of tempo. And as I, I say this, as we are entering a stretch where you know the uh, SEC on CBS game of the week is going to be Ole Miss at LSU this Saturday. They still have Alabama. They still have Arkansas. They still have the Egg Bowl. We're, we're sort of you know, conjuring all of these wild scenarios of what Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss is going to mean within an SEC championship race. Is Ole Miss good? Yeah. Okay. Is it a good top? like <laughs> now for sure? I'll give it I'll give it credit for being top 10 now. I mean, if you look at it statistically. It's been pretty solid on both sides of the ball. It's like they're balanced. Top. Like we yeah. we see so many of these teams where it's like top five offense, but your defense is fortieth, mm-hmm. and it's like very few. It's like no, you're like you're very well rounded and pretty sound on both sides of the football. It's a good yeah. team. Yeah, it's a good team. It's just like you said. I I don't think I think it's being ranked number seven at this point based on availability more than what it's accomplished in that it's undefeated and there aren't as many undefeated teams at this point of the season. But like we've discussed it and we've gotten hate for it, like with Oklahoma State when we called it the most quote unquote fraudulent team in the top 10 a couple weeks ago and we said it was going to lose at some point and it did. Right now, if you're asking me who the most fraudulent team in the top 10 right now is, it's between Ole Miss and UCLA for me. Ooh, really? Mm -hmm. UCLA you're not buying into? I'm buying into it. It's just, I don't think that I, don't I think-, think UCLA will finish with a better record and possibly a Pac-12 championship. I don't think there's any way Ole Miss ends up. I think Ole Miss is probably nine and three when it's all said and done. Let's see, Ole Miss. They've get, they've got LSU on the road this week. They could, which lose. is crazy. They could lose that game. Yeah, at Texas A&M, I think Ole Miss wins that game just because I don't trust the Aggies to score. Alabama, I think they lose because I just don't think they're explosive enough offensively like they have been in recent years to 
to present the problems that Alabama has, which we saw against Tennessee. Um, and then the egg bowl at the end is always a kind of a coin flip. So yeah, they could be nine and three, but I look at UCLA and it's like, they've got Oregon on the road this week. I think Oregon's going to win that game. Hmm. They have USC later in the year. I guess Stanford, Arizona state, Arizona and at Cal don't really present too many problems though. So yeah, I think Ole Miss would beat UCLA, but I mm. that's really what it kind of comes down Boy, to. Boy, look at you just went from like SEC hater to SEC homer like in five minutes. But here's the thing. That's, I'm, that's the difference in the way I view how teams should be ranked and what I think is going to happen. I think teams should be ranked based on what they've done, not what I think is going to happen. So if I'm doing the resume right now, I think UCLA should be ahead of Ole Miss. If they played, I think Ole Miss should be ahead of UCLA. I think Ole Miss loses at LSU. That's a pick them. Did you see that? It depends on what the heck or what team's going to show up for LSU. It's, you know? It was like last week, I was like, LSU's catching points at home against Tennessee? You kidding me? Give me the Tigers all day. Then they lose like by 30. So I don't know what the hell LSU is right now. It's a team that could win. It's a team that could lose. That's like, upon further review, that's mine is how wildly open this college football season has been the parody is not only there in the top 10 like we're seeing this you know all these upsets and we're seeing teams that historical powers it's like bama getting beat against tennessee but we've seen georgia be vulnerable ohio state's the only team that hasn't showed it yet but you feel like it's in them because they haven't been tested there um but then like way down like Stanford, Notre Dame, I, there is no way we'd have told me in a million years that would have happened, especially if we'd have seen how bad Stanford has been this year. How about Michigan State? We're thinking Jim Leonard, oh, interim coach, look at him. They they housed Northwestern 42 to 7. They're like, oh, those players must be buying into what Jim Leonard is selling. Boy, he could be, you know, he's going to be the next man for the job. They get beat at Michigan State. There's just, there's games across the board that you could have never envisioned happening. And I think it's great. I mean, it's one of the best weekends of college football. But I think the parody is here like we've never seen it before. You have to be able to score to win in college football. Like Notre that's Dame can't score right now. Huh? Notre Dame cannot score right now. Notre Dame cannot score right now. Let's see. I, do, I know Bud passed along this note. So 3,075 points in this weekend, over 53 games. That's an average of 58 points per game. That is a extremely i mean we talk we we talk about the over unders of like 67 68 62 but for all of fbs against fbs competition to check out around 58 um that that is higher than average this is a time where um you you need to be able to go out there and put it up to be able to win in college football and that is those teams that are offensively challenged i mean you look up and down the the top of these rankings is there is there any team that is totally defense first right now that is having success in college football? Illinois. Kansas mm. State, Illinois. Kentucky. Kentucky. So you're outside of the top 15. Mm -hmm. Syracuse has kind of been doing it with defense, defense, but they haven't been tested. You know, And their offense is pretty good, so it's like you know, their defense doesn't have to be that great. Yeah, but I would... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think offense is what you need to win. I think offense sells tickets, and I think these days, you know, it's always been defense wins championships. I think you need offense to win championships. I think that the defense still matters as far as when you get to the playoff. Like, all four teams are typically going to have a very good offense, so the team with the best defense at that point has the better chance. 
Tom, uh, you mentioned before the show that you wanted to do some uh, upon further review on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish uh, program, a team, excuse me, not a program, a team that has two losses to teams that do not have another FBS win besides Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, concerning. Because I, I did not watch, I said on the show Saturday night, I did not watch a single snap of Notre Dame-Stanford game. Watched it. Concerned. Because it's like the vibes I'm getting, and this is also, I think this kind of goes to Oklahoma too. So I don't want to overreact because this is a situation where both Notre Dame and Oklahoma unexpectedly lose their coaches. And then they hire kind of, I don't want to say emotional, but there's like kind of a rebound aspect to it where it's like Oklahoma goes and gets Brent Venables, who's never been a head coach, but they're familiar with. And Notre Dame turns to Marcus Freeman, who has never been a head coach, but they're familiar with because he's their defensive coordinator and he's done an excellent job kind of recruiting for them. But you're taking two first-time head coaches and throwing them into fires where these programs are expected to win right away. And there's always going to be an adjustment period. And we've seen Oklahoma going through it, whereas now Oklahoma's beating Kansas and it's a sigh of relief. Like, oh, thank God. You know, like that's not supposed to be the case. And now this Notre Dame team, as you mentioned, lost to Marshall and now it lost to a Stanford team. And the, the alarming thing to me is Stanford's defense has been terrible all season long. And it held Notre Dame to 14 points. Like the Irish just don't really have an answer on offense for anything right now. And they just I understand that losing Ty Buckner is a blow to them, but I don't think Buckner was great to begin with. So I don't think there's been a huge drop off to Drew Pine. And to me, just the vibes it are like I wrote about it this morning and the Monday after, and you want deeper analysis on it, you can go read that. But you know, like Lou Holtz left, he retired after having a very successful run at Notre Dame, won a national title in 1988. Things had kind of started to slow down and he retires, although at the time it was rumored he was trying to go get the Vikings job and didn't end up getting it. Dennis Green got it. But then Bob Davey comes in and has some success at the beginning, but you could kind of see cracks in the foundation. Things fall apart. Ty Willingham comes in, has a couple good seasons, but mostly mediocre to bad seasons. Charlie Weiss comes in, has a couple of good seasons, but mostly bad to mediocre seasons. And like the that 13-year period, the, the thing that stood out was Notre Dame was just losing the teams it's never supposed to lose to. Whereas even when Lou Holtz was losing, it was two teams that were really good. Brian Kelly comes in the first couple of years. Notre Dame still losing to a couple teams it's not supposed to lose to. But then they get to the BCS title game in 2012, which... It's probably a little too quick and raised expectations too quickly. A few more years of struggling. But like the last five years for Notre Dame, there's been the playoff appearances. But more than that, the teams that Notre Dame is supposed to crush, they crushed. And the wisp, like the talk of every single year of Notre Dame's overrated, Notre Dame's overrated, that went away because Notre Dame was beating the teams it was supposed to. And its losses were all coming to elite programs like Georgia and Clemson and Michigan and those kind of teams. And now you're in Marcus Freeman's start of his tenure in his very first game involves Notre Dame blowing a 28 to seven lead in the Fiesta Bowl to Oklahoma State, a very good Oklahoma State team, not as bad loss, but still you blew a lead. You didn't know how to finish. And then this season starts with a loss to Ohio State where you're fine. That's not bad, but you you didn't look to be anywhere near the same caliber of team in that game, even if it wasn't a blowout. And then you follow it up with a home loss to Marshall. And then a few weeks later, you're following it up with a home loss to Stanford. And like you said, Chip, two teams that had not beaten any other FBS opponents besides Notre Dame. So it's like you're a month and a half into the tenure and you've lost two games that you haven't lost to any, but like the kind of games you haven't lost in the last five years. And for me, if I'm a Notre Dame fan, it's like you got to be patient because, again, they're all still kind of learning on the job right now. Marcus Freeman has not had to do this before. But I'd be a little scared. Like, 
you might be going back into the wilderness that you were for 13 years. And maybe things like I talked about this the last few years. I often felt like Notre Dame fans were a little too taking for granted what Brian Kelly had done. And I think that they're kind of getting a reminder in the first month and a half of this season that what Brian Kelly did is not something you should take for granted because it's like in your recent memory, there's a whole lot of mediocre to bad football and you're kind of starting to see some mediocre to bad football again. And I would just be worried if I'm a Notre Dame fan. I would chalk it up to, Hey, you just need a guy at quarterback, but Brian Kelly never had a guy at quarterback. He had some good, like he had, you know, Ian book was like, he's had solid quarterbacks, but he Mm -hmm. hasn't had great. They've just been really fundamentally sound. Like they've been well coached which is why I think Brian Kelly's a really good coach. Now that LSU got a really good one because he's won at every level along the way, building up those type of programs. So I'm with you. You know, I I think the thing to watch out for is that recruiting class, which, what was it, number two or three? Like if that starts falling apart, if they start losing more, because they did just get a really nice win against BYU. Like that's a pretty good win. Although now Arkansas just went into went into Provo and just smoked them. So maybe it's not that impressive, but I still thought it was a good win. I don't, I don't, I think it is something like to put on the radar. I'm not that concerned yet, but I do, I totally understand what you're saying. Danny, what, uh, what else is on the notebook for a pun further review from you? Um, do you guys realize, and I'm going to, I'm just going to hammer this like a dead horse. Do you guys realize there are two quarterbacks that have 24 touchdowns, the most in college football and only three interceptions. Mm-hmm. One of them, everybody knows. It's CJ mm-hmm. Stroud, who is right in the front of the Heisman race. I know the other one. The other one is my guy Drake May at North Carolina. He just continues to play close to flawlessly. I mean, he had three touchdowns against Duke, zero interceptions. He rushed for seventy yards. He's got the athleticism. I'm telling you, like I, I don't like getting out ahead of ourselves and saying a guy's a lock for the number one overall pick in the draft. But show me somebody who's got better skills than what he's putting on display, and you know I'll be shocked because he has been phenomenal for Mac Brown. It's uh, it's insane how well he's been playing. So this is now a Quinn Ewers and a Drake May podcast. We are Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Those guys are mid. <laughs> Upon further review, is Texas? back i think so did you but did you see how that xavier hutchinson had the drop the wide open touchdown or they they i don't want to say should have lost because they found a way to win it then there's the controversial you know targeting not to they didn't call anything but deckers was a runner because he had left the pocket and he's coming down i thought that was debatable the drop pass was just a layup that was you know and the guy had a great game too he had 154 yards receiving it just inexplicably it's like when an NBA player misses a dunk or a layup like it was that wide open but Quinn Ewers was still awesome and they won so it doesn't matter but I do think there's possibly another stumble here down the stretch for the Texas Longhorns they they are they the same draft class Quinn Ewers and Drake May no, they red shirt. Oh, because May. Oh, I don't. I don't think Drake did. Drake. Drake May was there, or he get in there early in January. So is this his true freshman year, or was he there? I think he was a red shirt last season. Okay, so then they would. So then, yeah. yeah. So then they both could be the Everybody same. Everybody start tanking for Quinn Ewers and Drake May right now. <laughs> That's right. This um, young Stroud and Levis guys are all bums. So North Carolina's uh, upcoming schedule. They are off this weekend. They return to action against Pitt at home on October 29th. Then they go to UVA, 
to Wake Forest, which is just going to be a banger. <laughs> What's the total on that game going to be? Uh, over, I mean, 90. <laughs> 90. <laughs> um, Georgia Tech at home and then NC State at home finished with both games. Uh, both final regular season games will be in Keenan Stadium. The Tar Heels are 3-0 in conference play. They have head-to-head wins against Duke, Miami, and Virginia Tech. Do you think the Tar Heels are making it to the ACC championship game? I do, but there's it scares me because there's some slip-ups in there. You know, I don't. I think I think they do. You don't, Tom. I have. I think no the idea. only matter. I think the only question is: is it how many losses? Yeah, it's so bad. Like they have to lose one of those games. Like they could lose to Pitt. I don't think they could lose to Virginia. But they could lose to Wake. They could lose to Georgia Tech and NC State at that point. Like it's a rivalry game and they won't have Devin Leary, but that will be like their seventh or eighth game without Leary. So it's like they're going to know who they are by that point. So I think I, NC State's in trouble. It stinks. Me too. Because, yeah. Like no Devin Leary. They still have Wake and UNC left, and you cannot beat those two teams without scoring points. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so I, the, the pit there, game, but he cool. makes every game. But that's the thing about Drake May is their offense. It's not that different than Tennessee. Now, I'm not saying they should be a playoff contender or anything like that. Tennessee's total defense, 104th. Carolina's is 124th. Like it's pretty. It's one of the worst in all of college football. But I do think like they can win shootouts because their offense is so dang good and their quarterback think, is awesome. I think the pit game is for is for the coastal. Like yeah, if North Carolina wins that game. I don't think there there's any way they don't win the coastal. Because no one goes into Chapel Hill unscathed and walks away unscathed. Well, the problem is Notre Dame did. The same Notre Dame team that we've been bagging on, whose offense has been so dreadful. That's my point. Like, rolled. Their offense, offense, they were able to put up a bunch of points on North Carolina, which is why I can't sit here and be like, I think North Carolina is the favorite to win the Coastal. But, man, Do you guys know what Matt – well – I don't know if this is for the record or off the record, but I have sources that told me that Mac Brown has said that that Notre Dame team was just way better than they were. And the roster was way better top to bottom. But then that same team just lost to Stanford. So what does that tell you? It was his entire post-game press conference. It was all on the record. He spent all that time. Okay. What an honor to compete against a team (laughs) like that. You know why? Because it makes the loss look a lot better Mm -hmm. when you do that. Yeah, that was um, so. And unfortunately, uh, for North Carolina, you, you're going to be trying to correct something because be, they played in week zero, which means they have two bye weeks. The first one was ahead of Notre Dame. They came out flat, got pushed around. This pit team is going to bring a physicality to this game. They are going to be coming out of a bye week. And if you come out soft, you will lose to pit and give up your opportunity. If you lose to Wake and if you lose to NC State, those don't hurt your chances of winning the division because they are not division games. Well, they do. If you lose them both, it does hurt your chance. But you can lose one of those, and as long as you defeat all, defeat all your division opponents, you can still get that bid to Charlotte. So uh, Drake May, undoubtedly one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country. North Carolina's ACC Coastal chances probably on the line October 29th as Pitt comes to town. Is USC going to be okay? Yeah. They're going to get beat again by somebody in the regular season. I mean, UCLA, that's Maybe. the best 
the that's mo- my t- uh, now Tom. I didn't know he hated the Bruins, but no, I'm just saying it's. <laughs> no, I said they might lose to you. I, but here's the thing: like I don't have any huge takeaway from what happened Saturday night because it's what I've been saying all season long. Like the offense is going to be great and the defense is going to stink, and its defense stunk. And Utah was able to score 43 points and outscore it. But I thought its offense had one of its best games. Mm-hmm. Opponent and yeah. But opponent and situation played all played well enough to win, though. They, yeah, yeah, like I, I thought that that was a great step forward for Caleb Williams and that offense. And you did it with Jordan Addison getting a little bit banged up along the way. And also, as I got a chance, because remember the game was going on as we started, you know, in that time leading up to, I just didn't get my eyes on this a lot. Kind of felt like I was tracking it to go back and review that game. It was bananas. Like there was just, just some weird clock like, management. But yeah, I mean, just the everything about it was very, very strange. You know, congrats to Utah for getting the win, but like that that game, if they play again for the Pac-12 championship, what happened in the first game probably is going to have no bearing on it. It'll probably be another one-score classic, but I I think that that game was just so unique based on. The clock management, the play calling, the officiating, the back and forth. I mean, congrats to Kyle Whittingham for being like, look, we got to end this right now. Like we've we've got to end this game right now because if we if we leave anything up to chance, it might not break our way. And of course, they decide to go for two. They win that game 43-42. The schedule ahead, as you mentioned, Arizona Cal, Colorado, Notre Dame at the end of the season, UCLA and USC, that is going to be the ticket to USC being able to get a potential rematch with Utah. Utah has to themselves has to be able to uh, go the rest of the way. UCLA, Oregon, USC, and Utah, that is your top tier in the Pac-12. Top two teams in terms of conference winning percentage will make the conference championship game. And uh, I, I, I'm encouraged by USC and specifically offensively by the way they performed against Utah in that spot. I'll say that because I want to flippantly sound like USC was fraudulent. I feel I I thought you uh, Utah would beat them and cover the spread. They clearly didn't and almost lost. So I feel better about USC. Like I, I feel like they're more of a I don't I don't know what the proper word is. I think they're legit. Like I think they're much better than they were last year. Like whatever way you want to portray it, I think they impressed me. Like you were just saying, Chip. I think they impressed even in a loss. Yeah, I, I think USC is a prime contender to be the number four seed and get spanked in the playoff. I mean. I, because they run, run the table the rest of the way. They beat UCLA. They beat Utah. And the, yeah. Yeah, because if you look at the rest of their schedule, like their next three games should all be gimmies. It's Arizona, Cal, and Colorado. They should win all three of those, and they should win them mostly comfortably, but not too comfortably because of that defense. But if they can get by UCLA, and then maybe that Notre Dame game at the end of the year is tougher than it looks to be right now. Maybe Notre Dame's figured it out, and then they probably get Oregon or UCLA again, or maybe even Utah, a rematch in the Pac-12 championship. So I think that offensively that team is good enough to beat anybody. But I also think that when they play other really good teams, that defense becomes a liability. And it was on Saturday night. Anything else from a pun for the review before we get out of here? Uh, I kind of I kind of couched it a little bit when I said it on Saturday. and But after further review, I'm going to say it. Minnesota is fraudulent. Hmm. Sorry. Playing the hits. Sorry. On both sides of the ball? I mean, you got to pro- pro- yeah, provide a little oh, bit. Yeah. Of- Ibrahim is legit. The defense is good. The defense isn't great. 
But if you go and look at the drive chart for Minnesota, I think they had like two drives over 20 yards in the entire game. Like it was a long kick return that set them up with a first and goal for one of their touchdowns. And then there was one long drive that featured one very long run from Mo Ibrahim that set up their other touchdown. Other than that, they didn't do much of anything. And defensively, again, they're not bad because I, I think Rossi is a very good defensive coordinator. I think they are fundamentally sound. I think schematically they are good. Talent-wise, I don't think it's quite there just yet and because I, I thought Illinois was able to get a whole lot on them. And Illinois has not really been an offense that's been just moving the ball over the field all season long. Upon further review, there will not be a, an opponent that will score more than 20 20- four points against the Michigan Wolverines before November 26th. Oh, I got to look at the schedule, but I, I agree with you without seeing what the rest of the schedule looks like. That <laughs> defense is so good. I was, and we talked a little bit about just sort of Michigan in general, the way they controlled that game. We talked about it on, on the sports line live hour, like on a down to down basis, Michigan dominated mm-hmm. Penn state. And it was really only a, you know, interception and one long Sean Clifford run allowed Penn state to get some scores to make that not look like a, a total near shutout. But as I look ahead to Michigan state, Rutgers, Nebraska, Illinois, that Nebraska could get 24 on them in garbage time. If Maryland gets 27, Nebraska can get 24. Okay. But I will say I, my, my opinion on Michigan is changing last few weeks and that, cause like that Maryland game kind of concerned me. I think Maryland, that game is going to prove to kind of be, you know, like every team, every good team has an outlier game where it's like you're just kind of like, what the hell happened there? Mm -hmm. I think that Maryland game could prove to be the what the hell happened there game for Michigan because even though they only beat Iowa by 13, they absolutely dominated that game. Iowa got a couple of scores late to make it look close, but Michigan just kind of was playing with its food the entire time. The Indiana game, the Mike Hart stuff in the first half, they were flat. They came out the second half, absolutely dominated them. Penn State, like you said, they won that game by 24, but that was a 40-point game. Yeah. I mean, but, that here's, here's the nerd way to put it. Penn State led that game 17-16 to 16 in the third quarter. The post-game win expectancy from all the nerd stats was 100% for Michigan, despite 100. the fact they trailed the game in the third quarter. Watch the Sportsline Live Hour from 1.30 to 2.30 so you can watch Tom and I every single Saturday cut through the BS and just tell you how to make money. You got Michigan at under a touchdown. Mm-hmm. I was interrupting the host of the show to tell everyone to jump on Michigan right away. <laughs> Shout out to Tommy Tran. We love you. Uh, all right. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you.